Chapter Twenty Four of The Heron Nest by W. Bert Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Twenty Four. Yes. That tricksy sprite, Spring, breathed softly on the face of sleeping nature, and the earth awoke again to renewed life. The strong sod before the wide open door of the bungalow at Heron Nest had been transformed into a beautiful carpet of tender green velvet it seemed almost in a night out of the south the soft wind came and the blades of grass nodded a welcome the birds came too and pearl mary stood in the doorway and listened to a songbird that seemed to be trying to split his throat for very joy over the coming season before the girl lay the easily sloping field ploughed and harrowed against the time of planting jack's main crop the no longer scorned onion beyond stood the long line of posts and wires on which later in the year billy's especial variety of tomato would be fastened there was a man already spading compost into the ground there in readiness for the plants which billy was hardening off in his own beds down on the van Cove place in the opposite direction swept the other fields that, by industry and hard work, the herons had cleared, and were cultivating into gardens and meadows, the like of which were to be found nowhere else in Midway. Other farmers who had grown tired of tilling the soil properly, or were careless, or who had never really known how to get the best there was in the earth out of it, many of these came to the heron nest, to learn the secret of the boy's success so pearl mary was only mildly curious when she saw a runabout turn in at their lower gate from sowersby's lane and approach the house she waited for the carriage to come near and not until it stopped before the door did she recognize uncle calvert she welcomed him cheerfully as he slowly climbed down from the wagon his treatment of her during the past few months had been so uniformly kind that she had put away her own old dislike for the man, and her hand had a warm clasp for his when he came upon the porch. "'If you are looking for Billy, Mr. Calvert,' she said cheerfully, "'he is down to Van Coe's.' "'I saw Billy working there as I passed,' was the old man's reply, dropping into one of the rustic seats." then it's jack you want he's over helping the sowersbys build their new house i don't want jack responded mr calvert with something of his old brushfulness of tone then i came to see you declared the man and looked at her with narrowing eyes to see me repeated pearl mary seating herself likewise what is it, sir? Is it Veronica? I'm happy to say Vinnie is better than ever she was before in her life. I can thank you for that, too, I reckon, he said. Pearl Mary did not understand him. She remained silent and watched his creased fat face, which seemed now to be overclouded with trouble. I came out here particularly to see you, Mary, he said, at last. I got something to tell you. Will you listen? Of course I'll listen to you, sir, she returned, 
but in wonder. I, I, you've heard me speak of my sister, Rose, blurted out the man, rubbing his hands nervously up and down over his huge knees. You've known about her. I know that you had a half-sister, Rose, that you thought a great deal of, and that she is dead. He looked at her thoughtfully for a minute in silence. Then he said, perhaps unwittingly, speaking aloud, I loved her. I loved her from the minute she came into the world. I hated my stepfather, but I loved her. And mother left Rose in my care when she died. He said it simply, without much emotion. Yet Pearl Mary found that the tears had suddenly welled into her own eyes as she listened to him. I've had to hustle all my life, said Mr. Calvert, still in that reflective, impersonal tone. What I've got, I come by hard. I married Mrs. Heron's sister because I wanted a home, and wanted a lady at the table. That ain't saying I ain't fond of my wife. I'm fonder of her now than I was when we married. And, of course, there's Veronica, too. But I loved Rose. She, she wouldn't always be guided by me, though. She married a man I didn't like. He was a musician, and his folks came from Europe, and the whole family were musicians, or actors, and were some kind of bohemian. Maybe they were all right. Some of them had made a noise in the world, but they weren't our kind. Then, said Mr. Calvert, shaking his head, it hurt me that Rose should think so little about leaving me when she was married. She went away with her husband. She went right out of my life and never seemed to care to come back. Then she died. He died, too. There was a child, and I went to see it soon after it was born. It was the only time I ever was in their house or saw any of his folks. I liked him less than I thought I should. Maybe, if the child had been a boy, I'd have done something for it when Rose and her husband died. But I left it for his folks to take care of. He was silent a moment. From a quietly impersonal attitude as she listened to this story, Pearl Mary had suddenly sprung to eager attention. Colored glowed in her cheeks, her hands interlocked, and she leaned forward breathlessly. Years ago, pursued Mr. Calvert, I took a dislike to you. Do you know why? No, you couldn't guess. It was because you reminded me so much of Rose. Jim and Mary had you, and you wasn't even rightly theirs. Yet you looked like Rose. I, I guess I was jealous of them for having a daughter like you. Well, anyway, that's past and gone. I got over that mean feeling about you. I got ashamed of myself. Do you know when? Why? "'Twas when you came into my office that day Veronica acted so like a fool and made me tell you that you wasn't really Jim Heron's daughter. And afterward, when you were so kind to Veronica, well, I'd have to be a pretty hard proposition if I didn't begin to feel a good deal different. Hey, that's neither here nor there. It was along last summer a man came to see me. I couldn't make out what he wanted at first. Then he told me who he was. He was the brother of the man Rose married. He was no good. I guess he was about as low down and bad as ever a man who came of decent folk could be. 
and the story he told me was mean and bad, too. He said, when Rose and his brother died, that the little child had been left on his hands. He didn't want her. He couldn't reach any of the well-to-do members of her father's family just then. This fellow, I reckon, lived by his wits and off of the other members of the family all his days. So he tried to find me. It wasn't so easy, for he didn't know my name. You see, Rose bore her father's name when she was married. My father was John Calvert. Anyhow, he brought the little child to the place I lived in, but he found it difficult to identify me, and he chanced upon some people who were charitable, who were kind, who had enough of God Almighty's love in their hearts to take my poor little Rose's daughter in. The old man's face was suddenly convulsed, and he bowed his head in his hands. When he again spoke, it was with a voice so broken and so tender that nobody would have recognized brusque, overbearing Uncle Calvert. Girl, girl, don't you see? You were Rose's daughter, and I never knew it. I've girded Aunt Jim and his wife for years because they saved you from the almshouse. I fair hated you because you stirred in my heart memories I wanted to forget. I told these boys, my nephews, that they were fools to be burdened by such as you. And all the time they were caring, were sheltering my own flesh and blood. That's what I've come to tell you, child. I paid that fellow money at first to keep away and to keep his mouth shut. I didn't know what to do. It seems that Jim Heron had dropped something that made Harry Glendenning learn who you were for sure. And he had seen me and remembered me from the long time ago when I visited his brother and Rose. He bled me. I couldn't make up my mind what to do. Just you think, said Uncle Calvert pitifully, what this means to me. I had treated you so badly. I had scoffed at Jim Heron for ever taking you into his house. But since Veronica came home from here last winter and said how you and my nephew Jack loved each other, but that you wouldn't marry him because you was related to that miserable wretch who died here, I ain't had scarce a moment's peace. I wanted to tell you long ago, but it was hard, mighty hard. Uncle Calvert stood up before her. The tears had left their wake upon his old face. He stretched forth both hands, hesitatingly. "'Niece, Mary,' he said, still brokenly, "'I'm here to ask your forgiveness, and I'm here to tell you, too, that there isn't any reason why you should think yourself less than any heron who ever lived. You're a Calvert. Leastways, your grandmother was married into the family, and she come a good stock herself.' And so did your grandfather, too, for that matter, though I never liked him. Your own father's folks ain't like ours. They're a deal smarter, I suppose, and have made more noise in the world. You needn't take that poor wretch who made all this trouble as fair sample of the Glendennings. And anyhow, you're my sister Rose's child. That ought to be good enough for Jack Heron, if it ain't. Suddenly, she stopped him. Her arms were swiftly wound about his neck, and her fresh young lips ended his speech. "'Dear Uncle Calvert!' she cried, her eyes raining tears, but her voice 
thrilling with happiness. If I live to be an old, old woman, I can never be made so happy again as you have made me now. And then she was gone in a flash, and he saw her running across lots to the gate in the fence between their own place and Sowersby's. She was composed when she came in sight of the new house. Jack had charge of the work, and he and the other neighbors were giving their services as cheaply as possible to help the unfortunate Sowersby's out. The latter had had no insurance when their buildings burned, and in spite of all their miserliness and dishonesty in the past, the family had never seemed to prosper. But that the Sowersby's appreciated the spirit which had brought Jack Heron here to help them in their need was shown by the alacrity with which Bub, the red-headed one, ran for Jack when Pearl Mary asked to see him. Your sister's come for ye, Mr. Heron, said Bub, and then stood and gawped after the two in dawning admiration as Pearl Mary and Jack walked slowly away. Jack saw the wonderful light in her face when he joined her. What has happened? he asked, amazed by the change. Something too good to be true, Jackie boy, she returned, in that old playful way that had been so long missing in her treatment of him. But you have been crying, said Jack, doubtfully. Sometimes we cry for joy, she retorted. Her blue eyes sought his black ones, and their gaze did not falter as he stopped in the path and tried to fathom her behavior. His own face changed as he looked down at her. There could be but one thing, just the greatest thing in all the world that could have happened to make her look at him like that. And yet, Jack doubted. Tell me. Tell me, he panted. Do, do you love me still, Pearl Mary? Haven't I always loved you? She murmured, her trembling lips. Still a smile. But, but dear, can I have you? He cried and opened wide his arms. She looked straight into his eyes, still. She did not waver or hesitate. She was the boldest of the bold in that moment of supreme happiness. Try me, she challenged, and then she was in his arms. With the story told, they wandered home, hand in hand, through the warm spring sunshine. They saw the family gathered upon the wide south porch of the bungalow, Granny calmly rocking in her chair, Aunt Nanny still busy with pretty silks, but not because there was need of it now. Mr. Heron, gray-headed but upright, talking with Uncle Calvert, whose pudgy figure bulked big in the armchair he had selected, up the path which had been worn smooth between the bungalow and the Van Cope place. Billy was climbing briskly, and beside him walked Louise Van Cope her hand resting lightly on his arm with a certain air of proprietorship that could not be mistaken. No longer did Billy's limb drag as he walked. One could scarcely descry the limp in his gait. And so the two pair of young folk came nearer. Dear old Granny saw them coming, and her smile of welcome drew the attention of the others on the porch to the approaching four. Billy and Louise, 
Jack and Pearl Mary met before the broad doorstep. The light in their faces told the old folk, better than any poor words of mine, the story of their love. End of Chapter 24 End of The Heron Nest by W. Burt Foster